Not understanding the market cycle can cause serious damage to your financial well-being if you make the wrong moves at the wrong time. Hi, I'm Jared Krause. And I'm Sam Powell. And in this episode, we're discussing market cycles and helping people not get caught up in analysis paralysis to help them make those smarter buying or even selling decisions. Yeah, we talk about how long a market cycle is in this episode, uh, where we're at in the market cycle, and you know the, the peaks and the troughs, and when you should buy and when you shouldn't buy, or how to buy. Yeah, it's really important to understand that there's that there is markets within markets in Australia, and you know there's definitely times where it's not best to best to be buying, um, and it could be an opportunistic time to be taking some chips off that table. So. Having the right discussions with the right people is really important, but it really does start with, you know, just listen to this podcast and there's a lot of value that we can share. So we do hope you enjoy. Yeah, we also talk about the, not just the property cycle, but how the property cycle fits in the macro economy of other markets and what those other markets are and how you can track it and how you can use those to your ability to understand what's coming in the market cycles as well. Also understanding the economic conditions of Australia and what's happening with migration, what's happening with building uh, in our area and what's happening with like the either negative growth curve or the positive growth curve that we may or may not be in within Australia. Yeah, there's the supply demand metrics that are really important. So I uh, hope you get a lot of out of it. Listen on in. But just as a reminder, this is not the only way we can help you. So please jump onto a website www.propertypals.au forward slash resources. We have a really great uh, free tool course. It's just how to maximize your buying capacity. Um, we are seeing some really you know, opportunistic times in this point in the market cycle. So um, listen on in, get that confidence, download that resource, and please reach out if you have any questions, which is hello at propertypals.au and see you on the inside. Welcome to Property Pals, the podcast where we share everything around how to build a property portfolio from researching areas, financing, structuring, buying, selling, and reinvesting to live a life of financial independence. As a disclaimer, any information shared by myself, Jared, Sam, and the Property Pals team is strictly general and should not be taken as constituting professional advice. You should consider seeking independent legal financial and taxation advice from a qualified professional. Samuel, our first ever away from each other podcast. That's exciting. How's Bali? Yeah, it's good. Um, feels feels very different being not sitting next to you. Um, I don't know how the vibe's going to be, but uh, I think we're going to make it work and I think it's going to be fun. Yeah, no, it'll be fun. But I, I like the, um, the setup and that's you know, what we're all about, right? You can live and work anywhere in the world and, you know, you're doing it. So it's um, inspirational. So good on you. Yeah, and you've got your own home studio set up now and it's looking legit. So yeah, that's right yeah. on lashed out and um, bought all the, the podcasting equipment because you've left me and uh yeah it's it's exciting so i'm pretty keen to get into this one and uh, see how it all all pans out uh, some key uh topics that i wanted to to touch on which is pretty relevant in you know any market but um mm. i think it's going to help a lot of people you know understand 
you know, where what position and what cycle um, they're in with the property market, so they can actually you know, use that to their advantage when they're you know, going in and buying these these properties. Absolutely, it's, I think it's pretty timely for both of us. Um, you mentioned you mentioned like text me just before this pod and like you know what do you think we should talk about? Even though we've got a laundry list of things that we want to get through, um, you having some interesting times, you know, trying to explain market conditions with clients. You know, the market cycles within my own portfolio and, and when to buy, how much time do I have in a cycle um, before I consolidate and, and then reinvest. So, yeah, like let's let's just start off about us talking about a cycle. What's a cycle? Like what's a property cycle? Yeah, so property, uh, all markets move in cycles. There's peaks, there's, there's troughs. Um, and then there's you know the, those those times where you're you're in the in the middle, right? So it's like a wave. We call it market cycle wave. There's actually um, a famous economist, um, Kondrati. They call it the, the K wave. Um, he developed that, but have a look into it. But it's uh, it helps people understand. You know, you know, it's human psychology. It's really cool, actually. It tracks you know the, the market. So you start to see prices start dropping. They generally drop really fast at the start and they start to peter out. You'll have um, times where people are like advent, they're, they're seeking for that opportunistic so that the market's dropped 10%, so they think it's a great time to buy. But it's really important to understand, you know, you don't want to be catching a falling knife is what we call it in the industry mm. uh, because markets do, on the way up, they, they go up, they pull back, they need to pull back to keep going higher, and on the way down, they need to come back up to keep going lower. If that does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. So there's so many questions around cycles. Like a lot of people have have a lot of people have been told or heard, and you know maybe you know the the backyard barbecue or you know a kid's um, you know a kid's birthday party around you know a market cycle and property market cycles move in like, you know, 10, 10 years or whatnot. I guess let's bust some myths and, and, and come up with some, you know, share some realities with people around, around those. So like, what are some of the common myths that you've heard getting thrown around around property market cycles and property doubles every t you know average of 10 years and all these sorts of things? Yes. Yes. Well, I mean, everyone's got an opinion and it's, it's how far back you want to track the market. Um, I, I personally, I'm a believer that we, we do see um, multiples, there's, there's multiple cycles in a, in a larger cycle. So you can look at from a commodities point of view, they've got a 30 to 60 year cycle. You've got the political cycle, which is a four year cycle, which also affects you know, the property cycle as well. Uh, but from where I like this to look at it is you're looking, it's a combination of everything. So property, the Values like a lot of people's uh, money is held in the value of land. So you think about it from a psychological basis. When property prices are going up, people can see the values of their assets, that which is properties generally most people's largest asset that own a, own a home. And when they go up, people feel wealthier, so they're more inclined to to spend. And and when prices are going up, it's a sign that the uh, economic conditions in that nation are doing quite well. So you get this confidence boost and then you'll start to see things, you know, 
you'll get the doomsdayers coming out and then the media shifts from a um, you know a positive vibe into a cautious markets peaking and then everyone it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy because if people are constantly looking at the you know the media in that sense like they're a private enterprise right so there's an agenda behind what they're um, selling to you in a way like it's all free to wear stuff um, you've got to start questioning yourself or you know, what, what are they trying to achieve here and it, and because they have such a big impact on the, the Australian psyche it does affect property prices you know but in reality that's where you know that boots on the ground doing it every single day you see what's actually going on and for the past few years I've seen the media pumping the property market and then telling everyone it's going to fail and now they're back into pumping it again. And the whole time I've seen markets rising, it, just in certain parts. Like mm-hmm. so, you know, 18 months ago, Sydney was, it, it pulled back 10% uh, on average. And that in their mind, it was like the world's ending and they're only focusing on your Sydney and your Melbourne markets. So they're obviously your two largest markets, but it, it does peter out through the rest of the nation. And we say that there's, there's markets within markets. So there's other micro cycles, like say the Gold Coast has its own cycle compared to Brisbane. But all in all, they're kind of all um, they're more closely linked, the Brisbane Gold Coast cycle compared to the Sydney cycle. But uh, understanding how it all works is really important. And Sydney, because it is the largest market, as well as um, the Melbourne market, they tend to lead that. Um, that growth cycle or you know, where it comes. So we're seeing now, I've been sort of talking to people about Sydney market, get into it now and you know, don't be afraid to pay those prices because the market's lifting and you're, this is the whole point of obviously the podcast is what I want to talk about is this is relevant for commercial and residential properties is if you're buying into a market that is showing signs of growth, your purchasing power is getting diminished every single day that you're not in that market. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's it's interesting, like in just my personal property journey and watching the property market, uh, I've noticed that the, when the fear mongering or the fear media is out there, and this is you know what the your wisest investor in the world, you know, Warren Buffett says, you know, it's better to buy, um, be fearful when others are greedy and greedy when others are fearful in terms of like invest when, he says also invest when there's blood in the streets sort of thing. And when the media turns to a narrative of, oh no, it's all going to be super bad. Typically that's the best time to buy because people are selling at, you know, this is very typical, this is not financial advice, but they're selling at a lower price and they can, you can pick up a really good deal um, at, you know, a good part of the cycle. Now, how big are cycles and how long do they run? You know, how big is a property cycle on average? Yeah, well, there's, I'm a, a student of this, obviously, but there's a, um, a, uh, you know, a teacher or mentor that I like to look into, which is uh, Akil Patel and Phil Anderson. And um, they're big believers in the 18 year, 18.6 year property cycle. And I've done a bit of research into that theory and it, it, it makes logical sense. And what they tout is that there's a, during that 18 years, you've got the 14 years of up and then 14 years of down. But in the middle of those 14 years, you'll you'll see a, a, you know, a one year down period. So it's like a, 
the market pulled up, goes up for seven years, pulled back for one year, and that pullback allows it to then kick on to a further high. And then you've got that peak, and then you've got a four-year downturn. Now, so let's, so let's just repeat that again because I think that's so important. So you've got the overall time frame, and then let's break it down to those bits again because I'd like to just, yeah, can you mention that again, please? Yeah, well, let's look at it from the most recent um, market downturn was in 2008, right? GFC, everyone knows about that one. So that the, the market peaked in about 2007, 2008 in Australia. So Australia, from an overall market perspective, lags you know, your, your larger markets, which is your America and your UK. We're very closely linked with them. Mm-hmm. We're also getting more linked with, obviously, China and um you know, Japan, the Asian countries too. So it also lags the uh, lags like business, the business sector, like stocks as well, right? In America and also in Australia, and even now lags uh, like crypto market too. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I love where your heads at, and I, I'm a big proponent in diversification. So get into it's not just property, it's shares, it's crypto. Um, crypto is obviously the higher risk, but um, you know, you can also find those shares that are just as high risk as crypto. Um, mm-hmm. It just depends on their market capitalization at that point. But yeah, property because it is such an expensive asset to acquire and sell, it's slower to move. So I look at property like a big barge where to turn around it takes a long time. Whereas your crypto markets are more like your, you know, we used to drive around in dinghies back mm-hmm. in the day, mm-hmm. a little fifteen horsepower. And then, um, you know, your stock market might be sort of just, just like a, a nice cruising boat that, you know, it can turn, but it takes a little bit longer than your dinghy kind of vibe. So yeah, um, because, you know, for shares and for crypto, the in order to sell it, it just takes a click of a button. Yeah. You know? Whereas property, you got to get it ready. you got to find an agent. You've got to list it on the market. You've got to wait for the market to tell you, you know, this is the price you're paying. You've got to accept that offer. Then you've got to wait 30 days or whatever you need to do to settle on it. Mm-hmm. And then the money gets in your account. So it's um, that's why I'm a more a bigger proponent for property because it's a, um, just lower risk. You can that, see it coming sense. if you understand the market cycles, which is what we're trying to share with everybody here, right? Like, so... Mm-hmm. Let's, this is, um, there's two sort of threads we can pull on now is like the overall macroeconomics and how a property cycle fits in macroeconomics within the world. Uh, and then we've also got like the individual property market cycle. So maybe let's touch on the individual property market cycle and how that fits in then with the, with the macroeconomics. So we were talking about the, the timeline of a full cycle. So what's the, so I'd love to hear like the timeline of the full cycle and then the timeline of the troughs and the peaks again, um, just so people can really comprehend this. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'll do my best. But, um, <laughs> so the market, let, let's, uh, let's sort of run it from what's most sort of common. So you'll get that um, from a, the 18 year period, you've got, the bottom of the market, 2012, and that, that picks up. I'm starting to – everyone's at that point. They're like, oh, the market's ending. You know, it's just been falling for years, so they've lost hope in it. And, like, from that four-year downturn, um, it's – you just think about it from the psyche of a buyer. They're like, oh, prices are discounted in the first year. We can get in. It's 10% cheaper than what, than what someone paid for it last year. Let's, 
it's a bargain. Let's do it. And then they buy it, but then the market still drops and, and keeps dropping. And then they like get deflated, like, oh, the, the property prices, we've been duped. It's the world's ending kind of vibe. Yeah. So that's the four um, years. That's the four years from 2008 to 2012, which would you call the start of a cycle? Uh, I call that the end. The end. Uh, okay. From, from my point of view. Um, so we're working backwards here. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that was sort of like the end of the cycle. But before that, yeah, um, you got that mania phase, right? From sort of like two, like there was the dot com bubble where everyone was freaking out. Uh, I remember when you know we were there. It was like, oh, Y two K. If you remember that, like yeah. dropping over from nineteen ninety nine to two thousand, and it was uh, the computers. They're going to be all zeros and yeah. it's going to dysfunction. You know, and there was um, uh, there was a bit of a period there where you know there was a lot of fear and obviously um 2001 was a pretty dramatic event in the world where 9-11 happened um and then but like from that it was seven years that was of, of this prosperous time right so i'm working backwards from the 18 years down right so um that seven years from basically 2001 to 2007 was just crazy property prices went you know through the roof mm-hmm. and i was doing uh, valuations back in um, my time like 2012 of what values were putting on these properties in you know year 2009s um and you could see the, the mania like they it was still in the market in 2009 even though everyone knew that the banks were failing over in america but True. we just thought because we had the um the commodities cycle here in australia we weren't really affected but we most people just didn't see it coming, right? Yeah, um, yeah. We do. We do have a pretty strong economy, but at the same time, like if you look under, like we do get pretty close to some, some, some gnarly stuff happening within our economy. Yeah, but it's always um, this is like the cycle theory, right? Like, there's always um, a reason not to invest or not to buy a property, but then that's the analysis paralysis. So, what I've been trying to do for the last you know two years is. Uh, just more more understands you know how this system works and it's it's not an exact science or art or anything like that it's just um you know trying to look back on history and allow that to dictate what your thought processes are because it it never repeats but it it tends to rhyme from the research that i've been i've been doing yeah um you know going back from that historical timeline like before um like we had the the late 80s, that was a, a recession, you know, in our time frame. Like, you, you think about it, like, everyone talks about, oh, back in my day, you'd stretch like 7.5%. And they did, they, they were just gnarly. And that was the kicker into that, you know, four year down cycle back in um, the late 80s. Mm-hmm. And that four years started to end in those um, early 90 periods. So that's how you had that initial seven years kicker uh, six years into in the late 90s it was performing really well there was a lot of money coming through from your um asian markets like the japanese market was just they were just printing money and they were just buying everything it was really kind of interesting to see the history there and then we had that kicker and then it was oh the world's ending again you had that you know y2k 2000 2001 pullback and then most people they, they had that fear going oh all right, well, that was one year down and then it went into another six to seven-year growth kicker. And this is the psyche and we're entering into something like this in the foreseeable future over the next you know, five or, or six years 
but people like with with COVID, the mid-year cycle for you know us here was in that 2019 um 2020 COVID period where it, it, it pulled back you know and everyone thought the world was going to end the locking down and then it boosted again so my fear for most um people coming into this next phase of the cycle is that they're going to think it's going to be a one-year you know downturn period but it's going to end up being a multi-year downturn period and they're going to get caught out and they're going to be those ones that are catching that falling knife and the yeah. biggest thing is that um there's still opportunities in in each market to, to be making money i mean there's locations in australia that were going up in value during that 2008 to 2012 period because the underlying fundamentals of that regional location was prosperous yeah strong yeah they, you know like yeah, they might have different government um infrastructures and stuff being built and then even private infrastructures in terms of shopping centers that bring more people to a maybe a better place to live at that time um in the world so it's that's really gives it's you know it's like we're not here to fear you know to put out fear of like you need to really uh, it is worth understanding the market cycle um but like through that four-year downturn doesn't mean like you just sit and 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 do nothing like there's things that you can do so i still want to get this whole cycle wrapped up so we've got from going backwards from 2012 to 2008 we had that four-year downturn and then from basically 1999 2000 to 2008 we had that seven eight year sort of up uptrend and what happened before that like so you had that little like that dot-com bubble thing i remember at like 12 o'clock at midnight and the year 2000 started it was you know the world like computers are going to take over and stuff like that like it was it was i was pretty well pretty young right like i remember being um i remember that being you know said from our parents and stuff so i don't, can't remember how old i was i must have been uh, 12 or something but oh, we, we graduated <laughs> no the age man we were uh we oh, five we graduated. Yeah. Yeah. So we're in year seven. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So um then you so you've got that that little hiccup, but before that little hiccup and the seven year upturn to the, you know, GFC, what happened before that? Right? So you've got your four years and then your eight years. Obviously each so then they go twelve like years. Four 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 year like from the very start you'll get that so you work from the bottom, right? It goes six, seven years up, yep. one year down, six, seven years up, four years down. Okay, cool. So you've got that before the dot com millennial thing, you had a six, seven years of growth, little hiccup for a year, and then another seven years of growth and then four years downturn. So that's the full property cycle. Um Yeah. And the, the, the what's really important, like we're going to get to the back end, which is really interesting, of the current market, right? Yeah, so absolutely. But um, what what I'm learning about all this is that, you know, that's a, that's a decent chunk of people's time, right? Like you're getting different generations come in and, and they're getting different confidence levels. Like what we're seeing now, like I'm like, we're, we're, 30, we're 88, baby, 35. So going into we haven't seen hard times so that confidence level is quite high mm -hmm. and then like the other senior valuers i used to work with they'd been through different cycles they were really risk averse um you know in those sort of 2010 to like pretty much when i left in 2019 um 
And I was always like, oh, why? But you start to see it. And, you know, people's confidence levels come in. The older you get, the more life experience you have, right? Mm -hmm. So you're starting to question certain things. Um, what the issue is, is some of these older generations, they get burnt and they never get back in. And then they get to their 50s and 60s and then they're rushing around trying to make it work and they're getting caught up in all that hype in you know, the market. Everyone's making money and then they jump in. And it's really bad to be taking risks from a financial perspective later in your life. Right? Yeah. It's just you got to take those higher risks, get those higher returns. My mindset is trying to teach people to start taking low risks early in life and just make it easy for yourself. Absolutely. And I really feel that when you're younger, you have less fear. And as you age, the fear uh, can increase depending on who you are and the lifestyle that you live. But I know that I wouldn't do some of the things that I used to do, right, when I was younger. And I know that when I'm older and if I have like, haven't got the best financial situation, I'm going to have a bit of fear around I need to do something about it, right, and make a decision that may not be the best thing for me at that time in my age with my money. So it's very like interesting waters to navigate for somebody that is 50 to 60 and how they're going to invest and try and do it without fear and then understand the cycle as well. So, well, the, the biggest thing is that the world, uh, we've touched on this previously and obviously I'm a student of life too. So you know, do your, go, back, go back, do your own research, look into these things that I'm talking about, check out you know, property share market economics, really interesting like how in-depth they've gone back. And before Akil, there was Phil Anderson. Before Phil, um, there was, oh, his name, another, another Phil. So they've all, they've all learned, they've progressed mm -hmm. you know, in that. And the thing is in, in wealth, right, once you understand the journey, it, you really have to have a passion about it to go in and teach people these things because you can learn it yourself. You, 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 know, you create your own financial abundance and then you can just relax and enjoy life. You know, so that's kind of like uh, Fred and Fred, Fred? Yeah, I think his name's Fred. Anyway, um, <laughs> uh, check it all out. It's interesting stuff. And, you know, like you can't hide behind the data and if you, you're tracking it back to, you know, to for hundreds to hundreds of years to say how this all works, right? Mm. And for me, it comes down to just the psychology of it all too, right? People forget and it happens again. You get political cycles that are mixed in with that. I mean, in Australia, we run a four-year political cycle, so it's never in the politician's best interest to be um, trying to get it re-elected if the economy has gone to crap, right? Mm -hmm. So um, they try and pump it up. It's all sort of marketing and media uh, from that sense. But we are heading into interesting times. The beautiful thing that I find in Australia is that we're really strategically positioned for this next, uh, you know, next 10, 20 years, right? Like we've got really strong relationships with you know, UK, America, your, you know, your Western societies. And then we've got really, really strong relationships with Japan and China and India. We've got a really big um, immigration program coming through where we're, you know, we're opening the borders up to these countries that, you know, they're jam packed and they're looking to, you know, go into a different lifestyle and Australia is, is super attractive and for our land mass, we can support more people. Um, what our issue is, is that we don't have houses. We don't have enough development approvals going through to house all these people that we're bringing into our nation. And that's why I'm bullish for the next couple of years in property. Yeah, let's talk about the next couple of years and what's coming up and where we're at in the cycle, right? Before we continue today's pod, 
I want to ask you a few questions. What is your property investment goal? What type of properties do you want to own? How many? What size valuation property portfolio do you want to own? And how much net income do you want to be earning? Essentially, what's your magic number in passive income that you want to be earning? And do you know how to get there? And if you do, do you know how to get there in the least time possible with the least amount of risk? Sam and I have been helping people invest in property and build property portfolios for years. People who are now replacing their income through property and we want to help you do the same. Right now, for a limited time, we are offering free property coaching to our listeners. We won't be able to do this forever, of course, so head to propertypals.au forward slash coaching. That's propertypals.au forward slash coaching to see how we can help you achieve your investment property goals. Link will be in the description too. Obviously, the cycle, if if we're going from the downturn from 2008 to 2012, We've started basically, and just when I mention this and Sam and I talk about this, like just because we mention a year doesn't mean it's going to happen like clockwork on every single year. It's it's variant on the economy and uh, us, our own human psyche and how things move. Uh, so, you know, don't hold people that, you know, these are rough, very rough predictions and it could be out by two, three years or so, right? We just... We just don't know, and that's why we need to understand the macroeconomics of how the, you know, the share market cycles are moving in Australia, over in America, the crypto cycle moving as well, and then also see how that behaves, uh, or the property market behaves based on those things as well. So if we're starting at say 2012 at the bottom ish, you know, and then we've got from 2012 to where we're at now, right? So we're coming up like, you know, we could just say that's like a, you know, 11 years, uh, almost a decade. And we've had a little hiccup, I guess, through the, uh, the pandemic thing, right? So basically from the pandemic thing, we've kind of got like another six or seven-ish years or more, give or take, um, which brings us from like 2020-ish to three years now, like, am I correct in my calculation saying we've got another few years of like, let's see, let's see what happens in the next three to four years with this, like, is this the last little uptick? And then what do we do? A, <laughs> then what do we do? Yeah, this is a, uh, obviously all general, just have a bit Absolutely of general, it, yeah. It, it is fascinating. Um, this is kind of what my mind is more interested in at the moment. I've um, obviously done a lot with the everything else. But um, yeah, when you're dealing with people's money, uh, I want to make sure that I'm doing the best thing by them and giving them you know, my honest opinion. Mm-hmm. And you know, if you look back in you know, the history, it, it's, you have to expect markets to pull back. And you know, that's just the realities of it. If going in answering your question now is, look, the peak that they're talking about is 2027. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's over in America. Generally, Australia lags America by about 12 months. So this is all the things that I'm learning, which is really interesting because that's pretty much in line with actually what happened. You know, the GFC, sort of that 08 was the peak there. 12 months later, we started hit seeing the pain here. And then um, what actually happens is there's a, and this is why I'm really uh, sort of energized about it, is there's, we're entering into the last phase of this cycle, right? And 
you know, you read books and because I'm in the market every single day, I'm actually seeing these things unfold in real time and it it's uncanny how strong of a relationship there is to, mm-hmm. you know, what they're talking about. And this is, this is the situation I see. So we're in 2023, uh, going to be going into 2024 pretty soon. So we've still got those probably three, maybe four years. Uh, but what I'm actually seeing is our migration numbers are, are you know, increasing. Last year, we took 450 plus thousand people into Australia. We're bringing in another 315,000 is earmarked for the next 12 months. Wow. Uh, our building approvals um, are not in line with the number of people that are coming through. I mean, we're already seeing like rentals have gone up you know, over 10% in Australia in the last 12 months. So that's a key indication that people are struggling to find places to live. And then if you go, you know, I mean, you go on current affair today, tonight, all that media, like you'll see these stories every now and then people struggling to find places to rent. And then the renters feeling like it's, it's an unfair go and then government's changing policies for landlords and making it difficult for people to invest, even though that's the best thing you know, for them. Mm. Uh, and then you're getting these big developers, which is really interesting how in tied these people with you know, a lot of money and their, their connections in you know, um, government systems. The build to rent scheme is really booming. And it's coming out and these developers are they're just cleaning up right they're building a whole building and renting the whole thing out like they're taking that hit on the way in mm-hmm. but then it's just heaving cash and people are just yeah. running over themselves to try and get into a, a rental and prices are going up and they're going to continue to go up because we have a supply issue in australia and we've got a population that's increasing and increasing you know at a rate that's already in a stressed environment for supply. That's why, you know, prices are starting to increase, uh, you know, all around Australia again. And then this is this mania phase, right? Where you're getting these um, two key elements of high demand and lowering supply. supply. Yeah. It's, it's, it's wild that, um, people, you know, are thinking like after after the pandemic thing, like it went pretty crazy, like the property market in most of the world, like how can it continue to go up? Um, well, if you understand what Sam's just said, like that's that's exactly how. And there's like, that's where we're at in the market cycle was like, it could be a three to five year period of like, if you look at like any chart of any growth in any sort of sector, you know, crypto, uh, S&P 500s, 200s, you know, index funds and stuff like that. It has this one little peak, this one little like crazy uptrend until it gets to like the top and then it starts to slowly then do- does that. De- Sometimes it's a hectic decline, but we're talking about like that's where we're at in this three to five year period of like it could be, and this is very general for like all sort of the whole property market, not just markets within markets, but like as very general, we've got this next sort of three to five years of like, crazy crazy like sort of steeper growth curve than typically ever in that whole 18 year cycle before it gets to that 20 20 and 20 mid 26 to like maybe even 28 who knows what's where it could be um but we if you understand how to look at these other economies then you will start to see it coming. Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Just check out what America does because they're this usually first, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the beautiful thing of it. And like, um, 
yeah, obviously that's where the skill set of also you know, people say, when's the best time to invest? And it's like when you have the financial capacity to do so, but you know, go in with your eyes wide open. Mm-hmm. You know, people will always be trying to you know, buy a property for you, uh, but you've got to understand by amplifying your opportunity cost in this market, mm-hmm. you're going to be buying into a location that has better growth potential, but also you'll looking at locations that will be less affected by those major downturns. And, and generally, your you know, your major CBDs, they, they do, that's where a lot of the majority of people are located and the psyche of those buyers mm-hmm. you know, tend to get affected quite dramatically. Like, mm-hmm. say, during COVID, Sydney pulled back that 10%, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas you know, places in southeast Queensland went up 20%, which is just fascinating. But general public don't know these things because they don't, have the time to, to track it every single day like I do. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's interesting that people are probably thinking now like, all right, like if they've got some money or maybe they don't have some money, right, but they've got, a, you know, one properties or two properties or maybe four or five properties and then like what do I do from a portfolio's perspective? Like, do, like, and there's so many different scenarios that you can, you can do, right? And I've, you and I have talked about this a little bit, Stan, with like, in my own personal thing of like, you know, what do I buy next? Why? What type of asset? How? And like you said, you could buy, uh, if you are looking to purchase, you know, buy something that can get that capital growth in these next three to five years or three to four years or whatever it looks like uh, and um, is also not going to be too susceptible to a market downturn. I was like that three to five or, you know, whatever year growth in this last little part of the, the, the upside of the cycle um, it'll, you know, offset that it's not going to be too too dramatic of a hit. And then, you know, depending on what other properties people may have, is like we 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 typically don't tell people to sell properties, but at the, you, we've got to look at opportunity costs as well. So if you've got four properties and you bought, you know, a couple of the last part of the cycle, you may not want to sell them because you will you might lose money on their entry and exit costs but if you've got other properties that like aren't in a high growth location you could maybe take some money off the table for a little bit and then go and you know find those locations that are growing in that downturn where everybody else is like oh no like everything's gone to gone to crap um and you could wait two years out of that like downturn of the cycle and find something right so there's so many scenarios that people can play out what would you what would you say to that sam so just <laughs> reach out to us hello at propertypals.au and just have to have a chat book a call and um we can discuss it further because it might be it depends on where the property is right like it might be an opportunistic time to sell mm. um and as you say take some tips off the table the, during the cycle too, and, and this is what I'm seeing, I, rents are going to keep going up too. So whilst there might be you know, values in properties won't be as, uh, they might be pulling back, but the rental and the income you're getting out of these things is still going to be really strong and that's going to help you hold it. Like ideally, you know, holding it through, like four years is not a long time. You know, the market just, you know, just keeps going. You're, you're buying these things for that 10-year plus period because you're getting multiple cycles. So mm-hmm. any property investor should be seeing down periods and growth periods. And if you're trying to time the market, you know, you might get you know, too caught out. But um, during those those tougher times, like those uh, four-year downturns, access to credit is going to be an issue too. So if you do take those chips off the table, you know, you can get that real peak, sell near the top, and then you cash yourself up and then you just – 
you can either, I mean, go into shares, you can, um, or other alternative assets where they're more liquid, or you just put it in cash, offset your debt. You know, you're paying less interest, you're getting more income because your rents are going up, and then you can sit there and go, all right, cool. Well, the market's been dropping for two, three years now. Uh, what? Um, let's go shopping. Let's get some bargains. Yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the world. The world never ends. Like I, uh, I'm only, you know, only me. But you just got to think about it. We've been around here for hundreds of thousands of years. The world keeps spinning. You know, it's just a, psych- a psychology of you know, of markets, and we're so intertwined with it that it's um, it, it affects our decision making. But you know, you just focus on your health, good relationships, and you know, just invest in things that you know aren't going to stress you out financially and then just enjoy the ride like it's a beautiful place the world is a beautiful place absolutely and it's just the education like listening to this podcast it it's really equips you like with so much knowledge to not make rash decisions and that can help you just you know put your money to work in the right way that's less stressful for you so you can just like move through the cycle like is I think a lot of people do really fret about like having to be too perfect in their investing and like buy at the bottom and sell at the top. And it's so, there's so much work that goes into trying to understand where that top is and when that bottom is. And even like the best day traders still like get it wrong and they've been doing it for like decades. So it's, you know, why, like, if you just invest the long term, um, and it's less stress, and know that you're going to have, you, you, sh- you can ride those bumps. Yeah, I used to day trade currencies, and the whole theory was you get, as long as you're getting sixty percent right and forty percent wrong, you're doing really well. You know? Yeah. So um, uh, the motions of that it was just not for me. That's why I got out of it. I like the long term games of just keeping it simple. You're not checking your phone every few hours to see that you made a few grand it's just property is just a a more beautiful um vehicle for my personality type um another thing i'd say is just with the owner occupiers too like a lot of people you know they've done all the hard work they save their money and say they're sitting there going oh the market's going to crash and you know once again reach out let's have a conversation and understand where we are in a cycle to see you know whether that might be right or might be wrong in your typical that the suburbs that you're buying into in Australia, um, but it might be a different financial position. I put it this way: you're earning good income, you've got that p- p- capacity to buy that 1.5 million dollar home, your dream home for your family, and your income's quite secure. But if you don't do that now, and then the market does pull back, and then there's different lending restrictions, then that dream home may not be available to you, or one of you. Um, you know, like it, things are always changed is kind of my, my point. And um, it's just making those more educated decisions. But you know, go in with your eyes wide open. If, if, you, if you're expecting, you know, a slow period for the next two to three years, then, you know, don't over leverage yourself. And um, the importance is just having conversations with people that, uh, you know, can shed a bit more light on it rather than you going around in your hamster wheel in your head. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's so situational. Like we just talk about one thing, which is like the cycle, the property cycle. But that's an, that's a totally different thing compared to where people are at financially in their own lives. Yeah. And 
you know, some people may not be perfectly in sync with the cycle to buy at the low and sell at the top, like, but there's still moves that you can make. So reach out guys, hello at propertypowers.au. We're happy to chat to you about it. You know, we're not going to try and tell you to sell or buy or do anything um, that you don't feel comfortable doing. Um, and we're not trying to make you make moves. So, you know, you know, cause we don't really, you know, aren't trying to find a benefit for that. We just want you to do the best. And when you do the best, everybody else will be, you know, winning as well. So in your life, that is. Yeah, it all comes back. But the better you do for somebody else, then obviously it's hard to find people that you, you like and trust in this world, especially yeah. in property. It's called sharks. Uh, but, I mean, conversation can you know, potentially make you some really good decisions. And obviously we've got some interesting resources on the website. So mm-hmm. um, check that out. But I wanted to touch base onto where we are now in the cycle and what I'm seeing and um, to try and help people. So this is more sort of timely. Yeah. Um, when this, this podcast gets released in a few weeks. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, but yeah, what, what I'm, what I'm seeing at the moment is, you know, got, couple, the reason why we covered all this micro cycle stuff, because we are in this, we're in this boom period. We're hitting this kicker. You're going to see media coming out really soon saying, you know, property market's booming. And by then, you know, it, it's not too late. It's never too late, but you, you're in a competitive market already. So what I mean by that is you're going to be looking at comparable sales to justify your opinion in, in commercial and residential. Um, you're looking at co- comparables and saying, well, I wouldn't pay a million dollars for that. I only pay 950000 And it's like, okay, well, that's fine. However, there's about 10 other people that are willing to pay that a million dollars. So once that property gets purchased for a million dollars, that's now your, your new benchmark. And and the other nine people that have missed out on that million dollar purchase because they weren't willing to go to that level are now still hunting for property. And we're on a supply shortage. We've got an increasing demand. Your purchasing power is getting diminished every single week that you're not into that market. So you've got to come to terms with if you do put an extra $10,000 or $20,000 on the table, yes, it might feel like you're paying that future value, but the market's increasing greater than that, than that on a million dollar purchase every three months, right? So if you find an asset that ticks all your boxes that you're really excited about, work with someone who knows how to negotiate really well and can give you that live feedback. You'll see that demand coming through. And the, the true definition of market value is a local agent in an open market, willing buyer, willing seller, and an arm's length transaction. If you've got multiple backup offers, I don't care that XYZ123 Street sold for $950,000 three months ago. You've got nine people willing to pay a million bucks for this asset today. That's market value. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So you can sense where you're coming. I can sense where you're coming from of like, if the market is rising, it's kind of like coming back to the pandemic time where um, I remember a bunch of our friends and family like trying to get into the market and we're just seeing like, all right, the market is growing so rapidly. Like we need to, we need to understand where we're at in the cycle and understand that like how much, you know, it, we need to meet the market as well. And, and why is it worth meeting the market based on where we're at in the property cycle too? Because it's so like, all right, cool. I remember, remember you saying like to uh, my cousin looking for a, a home, um, you know, you just need to pay a little bit more um, to meet the market. And 
they were like, well, it's insane price, but understanding where at where they were at in the cycle, they crushed it. Like they crushed it, like just by holding it for you know a couple of years, um, and that's that's very empowering for somebody that is thinking, oh, I'm not overpaying. But if you know where you're at in the cycle, you can have more comfort in like bidding in a way that can you know you you can have a bit more confidence on what how the market's going to move yeah it's just education and knowledge right like it 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 definitely helps it reduces that risk and uh you know it it sounds like it you know it's a pushy person to go yeah put more money on the table but i've been through it multiple times i've seen multiple eyes even clients that i'm working with now where uh you know we, we put really quality assets in front of them you know my analysis is you know, my, my target is to be within 2% of the purchase price every single time. My average is I'm about 0.4% below what they actually go for now over the last six months, which is awesome. You know, Congrats. I'm, I'm super proud about yeah, that. Dude, it's very difficult. Yeah. But, um, you know, my I, even with all that information, and I can I can openly share all these analysis that I do for people, but it's just like I, I, I put $550,000 on a property and people come back and they're like, oh, I'm not willing to pay any more than you know, four seventy five. It's like, well, you're wasting everyone's time. Like, No one's going to sell that asset. And if you only want to pay four seventy five for that asset, then you know, you're know you going to have to be in a different market. And with that mentality of always wanting a bargain is going to get you further and further away from you know, just putting your money into a good quality asset that's going to grow in value. And another point too is if someone's willing to sell something for, you know, 10% below market value or more, you got to ask yourself, why? is this even a good quality asset, you know? Yeah, why Why are they willing to sell it for less than where the market's at? Like, you know, um, it's such a good point. You mentioned like if you're always trying to find a bargain, <sighs> I don't know. I, I don't think that's the best way to build wealth um, or to grow is just to try and find and always buy something cheap. I think it's better to buy, you know, quality um, and pay for it. You know, it comes back to the Warren Buffett saying of like, it's better to buy a good property. He says it's business, but it's better to buy a good property at a fair price than a fair property at a good price. Yeah, I'll start to use that, that little quote that you've said in a few uh, conversations with people, but I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty chilled with the whole thing. It's your money, your choice. You know, I'll just, I'll give you my opinion, and then um, you know, time will prove whether I'm right or wrong. And uh, I mean, it's proven itself <laughs> in, the, in the past couple of years. But um, you know, it's it's a journey, and people, you know, they might take longer to transact than others, and that that's fine. You know, it's um, mm. it's your money, as I said. It's your comfort levels, and it is millions of dollars most of the time. Um, hundreds of thousands for those investor clients and uh, you know I get it it's highly emotional and it's, it's difficult uh, so there's generally an education period and I guess that's a big part of obviously what we're trying to do is you know educate people to a point where they can understand what they're getting involved in because it's not simple you know you go see your bank or your mortgage broker get a borrowing get a purchasing capacity and then just go and buy any old asset because um, could be buying an asset that you know is that bargain price. But the risk on that is, if you had to sell that property and the market had turned and it's in a downturn period, this is where property bites you in the butt. And they 
are just you've got an asset that is not attractive to the the vast majority of the buyers in that market. You can't sell it. Mm-hmm. If you have to sell it and no one wants to buy it, you're going to be consistently just dropping your price and dropping your price to a point where you know you might even default on your loans and then you're going to get a bad credit rating and then the bank's going to repossess that property. That's when you start getting into financial hardship and that's what I don't want people to do. So mm-hmm. the best way to do that is to buy the right asset in the right location at the right time and yeah just let time do the heavy lifting and you'll you'll be thankful for it when you've got that good quality asset in any market yeah let time do the heavy lifting and also the people that understand how to find the right property in the right location at the right time give the heavy lifting to them and then give it give it up to time and and you just putting this is where i like to say you're putting time on your side not against you and uh, that is a real mind bender for people because they feel like they need to rush to wealth or rush to a certain thing when, hey, you can actually, you know, time doesn't always need to be against you. So, yeah, I'm, I'm learning a lot about that. Like, we're so fixated on time, right? Yeah. But, I mean, time's just a construct of, uh, of, of humans putting it, you know, like nine o'clock, eight o'clock. It's just like, yeah. you wake up with the sun. And go to bed when you're tired. You know, let yeah. your let your body be your clock. That's what I'm trying to learn at the moment. And and um, I'm just always looking at time. But I guess I've just been brought up in that. You know, be here at this time and do this thing. We all have though. Like I think where time really stuffs people up is like expectations. Expectations of certain things happening within a certain time frame. Um, like trying to achieve a goal. Uh, this is where I talk a lot about mindset stuff with my clients of like. If you see a case study of, and we'll bring some, you know, some of our, you know, friends and family on of like people that have bought properties and what they've achieved and stuff like that. But like, if you see a case study that somebody has achieved a certain result in a certain period of time, and then you go away and set that expectation for yourself, you're setting yourself up to fail, uh, depending on where you're at financially, depending on how many resources you can put into it. Like, it's not it's not always going to be the same. And typically I don't like to tell people to measure time. I like to tell people to measure inputs. So for somebody to achieve a certain thing, they need to do a certain amount of work, right? It's not like they need to wait a certain amount of time and it'll just happen. So some people that might take that certain amount of work, it might take them a year to do. Sometimes it might take people four years to do that same amount of work and they've achieved that result. So we shouldn't be comparing time when, yeah, and then also when we set that expectation of like, I need to achieve this within a certain period of time, it restricts us because then we put stress and pressure on ourselves of trying to achieve it in that certain time frame, and we don't perform the best most oftenly when we've got too much pressure and too much stress. Sometimes a little bit can be can can you know light a fire up our bum and can be healthy, but too much of it is is you know, and then you can swap it like if you don't give yourself this crazy expectation, and you take time away from like you trying to achieve it in a certain period of time and you just give yourself more time, typically we can perform better. Yeah, yeah. And another thing is what I'm learning anyway is um, there's different facets of life. You know, it's not not just financial. It's yeah, looking after the vessel that you're in. You've only got one of them being your body. And then, uh, you know, hanging out with your kids or mm-hmm. hanging out with your mates. Go, you know, go for a bushwalk, get involved in nature. Like, and then... You know, invest obviously we all need to invest to you know, create that financial independence and that can be in businesses creating your own buying and buying a business investing in a property 
buying a principal residence and renovating it to a point where you can manufacture that equity. There's so many different vehicles, but it's what lights you up and what you enjoy doing is, um, yeah, is important. Looking at the big picture, not just one facet. And yeah, as you said, not rushing, um, rushing the outcome because, you know, like, you don't know. Think about where, where do you think you're going to be five years ago and where are you today? And are you any happier? Any, like, any sadder? Like, for me, it's, I'm, I'm, Super content with life. I didn't think I'd be here five years ago. <laughs> yeah, very different. You have a very different lifestyle than five years ago, um, which is so cool. You're, so are you, mate, you're living in Bali yep. now. You're, a, you're an expat. <laughs> expat. Semi-retired <Yeah>. expat. <laughs> very different than five years ago of working my, my tits off. Uh, all right, well, let's wrap that one up then. That's a great pod. Thanks, Sam, for the chat. And uh, yeah, reach out, guys, when you need help. Yeah, hello at prodipals.au and uh, yeah, don't forget to check out the free resources on the uh, website. So prodipals.au forward slash resources and uh, yeah, enjoy the journey. Any questions, reach out and thanks for listening. Cheers, guys.